Hey everyone, welcome back to the Last Word on Sens podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger, and today we have a great episode I think everyone will really enjoy. Uh, but before we get to the episode, right as I was getting ready to publish this, uh, news broke that the Ottawa Senators now have an ECHL team. They have paired up with the Atlanta Gladiators, um, and it sounds like that contract will start this upcoming year. And that is huge news I wanted to touch on real quick. Uh, there's not much to say. I think I maybe will break into it a little more uh, on my next episode. But um, it, it's huge news because this is uh, means the organization has a third-party team. Uh, obviously, they have the AHL team, but they now have another team where they can go and help develop goaltenders. Uh, we get into it in this episode a little bit about... Um, you know, how important, how many goaltenders they really have in their system and what they're going to do with all those. And when Ottawa was sharing an ECHL team, it doesn't automatically guarantee that the guys you want to get starts are getting the right amount of starts. And they can do that now. Both Ross and I touch on, you know, stuff like that, the goaltending crowd. And I also mentioned that I think the Senators have done a really good job at uh, shifting their AHL team and making it more than just a team that is down there that you sometimes send your AHL players to. It's a place where they actually use to develop their rookies now and their young guys, and it's already paying off in spades in some of the guys we're seeing, and it should continue to be that way. So um, adding an ECHL team, in, in my opinion, only helps that. Uh, and It's only going to keep strengthening that, and you love to see it. So, um, yeah, I wanted to touch on that real quick before we get uh, into anything. Um, but yeah, I hope everyone enjoys the episode and as always, thank you for the support. You can find my Twitter at NHL sends and stuff and the podcast at last word on sends. Uh, you can find this podcast wherever and thank you for all the likes, shares, reviews, all, all that good stuff. It means a lot and it goes a long way. So uh, I hope you all enjoy and I'll talk to you all next week. Joining me now, making his return to the show. It is one half of the send central podcast. He's a producer for TSN 1050, Ross Levitan. Ross, thank you so much for joining me. How's it going, man? Alex, always a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for the invite and looking forward to, you know, wrapping up what was a busy summer and it, it slowed down with a screeching halt, eh, in the last few days. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, uh, I haven't recorded in, I don't know, three, three weeks, probably two or three now. And, uh, it's been busy and that like no shortage of content for any team around the league, but yeah, the August month always seems like it's the longest, but I was saying the other day, the nicest part about this is having the draft and free agency at the end of July instead of the front of July. It's really only about four weeks until things like training camp will start up again. So um, while there's definitely going to be a bit of a lull in content here, uh, it's good that it's probably only four weeks instead of eight, you know? Yeah, definitely. Not only that, I'm hopeful we'll get news in the next week or two about a a rookie camp before everyone shows up on what you'd expect to be September 18th, 19th. I know their first preseason games the 26th in Winnipeg. So you'd expect at least a week at camp before that. But if they could get the young kids all together, I think that's so beneficial to the development. And usually it's right after the draft. Hell, the, the draft picks have their bags packed. Uh, when we had Sogard on, he said they went straight from the draft right to Ottawa. So it's usually kind of like a rite of passage to meet the organization, go see the dressing rooms, all that sort of thing. So that is lost and so much has been lost with COVID, but that aside, if they can find a way to get the kids there a little sooner, we could also see maybe a surprise. Like, is Ridley Gregg, does he have a chance to to have a great camp and force Ottawa's hand to, to start in the NHL? Because we know he's in an interesting situation where there is no AHL option for him. What's the benefit of him going back to WHL versus staying in the NHL? So these are the kind of things I think with an extra week seeing the kids, it could be an awesome head start. But that being said, I think for the most part, the Sens are, are probably done unless they're going to come out of left here, field here and, and grab a centerman. 
Yeah, I think, you know, it's just kind of internal thing. They're probably going to clean up here. I mean, obviously, Drake Batherson and Brady Kachuk both need new contracts still. And uh, they got one of their RFAs done. It was definitely the smallest of the three by by a large margin. And we will get into that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's been, you know, they didn't make a ton of moves. And, and we'll get into that. But I, I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, you know, a ton of moves over free agency, I should say. And, again, I don't, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, seeing some of the uh, – absolutely crazy contracts that got handed out on that day. Um, but uh, yeah, I haven't recorded since the draft and I, I thought, you know, you and, and obviously it's a shame your co-host uh, couldn't join us here today, but I figured you guys would be the great ones to have on for draft because you've been nailing draft content for, you know, it was a, a month at least before the draft, you know, taking a look at rankings and everything like that. And, um, you know, I there's so much always to talk about around an Ottawa Senators draft. There's never a shortage of controversy or discussion or anything like that. And, um, you know, I, I want to get your opinions on the picks, of course, and then we can get into, you know, some other stuff that we've seen online too. But, um, you know, overall, give me your evaluation of their draft, you know, as a whole. Well, they certainly went off the board. You mentioned our pre, uh, what we call it, our pre-draft rankings that we took at eight different scouts, averaged them out, and the Sens had four picks in the top 75 where we had. And, uh, well, they picked one, and that guy uh, went 10th overall, and he was 55th on our rankings. That being said, I did have five stars for Tyler Boucher out of five. I thought he was the perfect prototype player that the Sens look for, not only when they're drafting, but when they're acquiring players of all, any magnitude. And hell, it, it definitely put a smile on my face when you hear DJ Smith on the radio say that Brady texted him right after saying that's our kind of guy. So that's a buy-in that you hope leads to a long-term extension when it comes to the future captain of the organization. But there's no question they went off the board for what a traditional scout and the analytics scouts, all those guys would have recommended. That being said, they, they took two guys out of what would have been the OHL. I know the seventh round pick Chandler Romeo, he ended up playing in junior B this past year, but we haven't seen this Ben Roger kid play since he put on 35 pounds and he's six foot four, big rangy defenseman. So from that standpoint, I've really kind of tried to take a step back and, you know, we've, we've been bitten before of having a hot takes of Sens fans on draft day, going back to Brady, Shane Pinto trading up for Mad Sogard, this big Danish kid. And, Hey, it's uh, it's looked good in Trent Mann's rearview mirror from what he's done in the past. Going back to his first draft running it when it was Drake Batherson in the fourth round and Alex Formanton in the second round. So in Trent, we trust. I know we kind of say it tongue in cheek, but at this point, I'm willing to hold off being too critical on it until we get to see these kids play. Now, I was lucky enough to have a, a couple of days off when the U.S. Uh, team was on the Summers world junior summer showcase bit of a tongue twister just like the usndp where they drafted tyler boucher out of and i thought he he's just a, a guy who grabs your attention every time that he's out on the ice the question being how much skill comes with that but the ferocity of which he hits with like he's trying to run guys through the boards and his playmaking in terms of getting himself into open slots to receive passes he really impressed me and outside of Chaz lucius i think he was the best player on that team now everyone will jump down and say, well, Chaz Lucius was available in that spot. So I think that's fair. I think it's extremely fair to say they left talent on the board at every selection. But if Trent Mann sees something about these players, I think he's earned a bit of leash uh, that he should be given at least one season to see what these guys can accomplish before being too hard on them. 
Yeah, and I mean, I think it definitely goes both ways. And, you know, I've mentioned on Twitter a couple times, obviously Twitter's the worst place sometimes to have discussion or discourse because there's just no nuance, it feels like sometimes, you know? Like, you'll log on and you'll see this was, you know, shut up, you don't know anything, or this was the worst draft I've ever seen, when in reality, it's probably somewhere in the middle, you know? Like, um, and I feel like what gets lost, too, is just like, a lot of times it's like, even if, you know, like, not even criticizing is the wrong, the wrong word, but like he said, yeah, that's not who I would have t- taken. I feel like it gets lost in, in translation. Sometimes it's not like anyone wants these guys to do bad. Like Tyler Ruscha is now a part of the auto senators. I hope he is the best freaking pick in this draft. You know, like I hope nothing for the best. And I think, you know, it, it'll be a lot of fun to watch him develop. And um, I would say a, a lot of the things too, with this draft. And uh, you know, I, I know personally, I've been someone, I got burned on the Brady pick. I, fully admit I hated the pick at the time and I'm so happy I was like the most wrong I've ever been about anything probably about that pick you know I I love eating my words on that um the other thing I'd say though to the people who uh maybe were disappointed in this draft um especially in the later rounds is a lot of these guys did not get to play much if at all this year and I think that's going to make scouting uh, a a lot more difficult obviously and obvious and also lead to boards being so much wildly different so you know even if a guy was 70th on a big board and they took him 100 or sorry if somebody was and someone was 115th on a big board and they took him 70th overall or whatever it might not be that big of a deal because on on another year where a guy might get you know 60 more games to prove himself. We've seen guys jump one, two, even three rounds at times, depending how late they are. Right. So um, I'm definitely at the the state of mind where, um, you know, I fully admitted that the draft is not my thing. Um, You know, I I like seeing, you know, things like trade down and Ottawa did do that this year. And that was nice. I, I think there is, advantage to be had on the draft but when it comes to the actual players yeah and in Trent we trust I am I am definitely fine with that saying because um you know he he has a good track record a great track record even you know from those same lists Alex didn't even know who Levi Marilinen was last year now look at him he would have been a no doubt top two round pick exactly and you know one that I I'm really curious to see how he develops this year is uh Oliver Johansson who they took in the third round 74th overall that was considered a bit of a reach as well, but he's 17 years old and just has barely got to play. Like yeah. there's just, it feels like there's so much potential there. Um, and, you know, that's not the typical Ottawa draft. Well, I shouldn't say typical. They, they take all kinds of players, but you know, he's a six foot guy, 183. So it's not like he's a giant out there or anything, but you know, he's got some puck skills and I'm really excited to see how that happens. But yeah, overall, I, um, I thought the draft was fine. I've, I've learned, I think, and the best thing we can all learn probably is don't try not to have a hot take one way or the other on the night of the draft, because almost always you will look at, end up looking pretty silly. Well, not only that, but you're also kind of putting a little dirt on what's supposed to be a special night for these kids. They've worked like a decade of their, their lives. And at that point, what's their life? 18 years. So more than half their life to accomplish this goal. And uh, you know, they're all name searching themselves, whether it's on Instagram or Twitter and all sorts of social media. So yeah, I find if you stay positive, the shock factor can definitely be there. And that's what makes drafts great. Uh, you go back and you think cock in the Emmy when his name got called and that lady going crazy. Like those are moments that stand out and they're all in good fun. But to say that Ben Rogers, a brutal hockey player and, and uh, Oh, you could have had this guy or that guy. I just want to wait and see how he looks in London because I, I don't know uh, if you know this Alex, but London's got a pretty good track record at developing players. So I think that uh, we've seen that in NODAC the, the same way, like Tyler Clevin do not draft on elite prospects. 
this guy led all NCHC rookies in defensive goals. Like this guy was an offensive weapon in a very limited role, mind you, uh, in his freshman season. So I'm looking forward to him taking a step forward. Hell, he was on a projected list for Corey Prom as a top four D, D man on this world junior team coming up. And that same Corey Prom had him 113th in his draft ranking. So that's this is just where Trent, man, he excels at it. And even going back, like his first draft, he was a part time scout only covering the Maritimes and they get Mike Hoffman in the fifth round. So this guy has just got a track record for, for nailing picks over and over again. So I'm just excited because I want to see what Trent man saw in these players. And when it comes to another name, you've already mentioned Oliver Johansson, who's probably the more skilled player that they drafted. Who's like relies, relies on his one-on-one skill, his, you know, cut you in, run back outside and try to make space in the offensive zone. This Carson Latimer kid could be kind of Alex Foreman in 2.0, one of the fastest kids in the draft, kills penalties, and him and Zach Ostrichuk, the two WHL kids, by all accounts, just got better and better and better as the season went on. And you're not drafting these players for this year, right, Alex? You're drafting them for three, four, five years down the road, and I think they took some heavy swings. But after 10 picks last year, especially some safer picks like Igor and Cole Reinhardt. I know that Igor now like kind of sky's the limit, but they drafted those two guys knowing that they could step right into pro hockey and fill out their AHL team. This year, they didn't do that. They took big swings that some will take time. Uh, none of them are going to join the organization this upcoming season. But man, the upside you can definitely see there, if not only in their stature. I want to say that the average height was like 6'3", 220 pounds. And these are 18-year-old kids. Like, you, you just think of what they can grow into and, and you got to get excited about that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you touched on the HL too. And I think, you know, the best way to describe this draft, and I would say even next year where they already got uh, three uh, third round picks and two second round picks mm-hmm. for the draft next year, these drafts are what you're going to need to restock the cabinet when this team actually wants to go for it. You know, you see teams like Tampa Bay right now, they're, they're okay letting the Blake Coleman's walk and not overpaying for those guys because they have guys that they've been developing for years and almost overdeveloping for some of the guys, um, but that can step in now that they're 21, 22, 23 years old, even some of them. And I think one of the other things I want to give real props to the Ottawa Senators is how much better it's been since they moved to Belleville. You know, uh, it used to be their AHL team was not somewhere that you would want your prospects going to play or develop at all. And now we've already seen with the likes of Drake Batherson is paying off, even, you know, Alex Formentin, uh, you know, uh, obviously Josh, Brent, Norris, for Josh sure. Norris is another great one. Branstrom hasn't quite worked out yet, but there's still loads of potential there. Right. Uh, and don't, don't make me say, cause Pillsy's not here, but Rudy Balsers, although now in a different organization, but Belleville did him a ton of good. Exactly. So like we've seen already so many examples of guys going through that organization. And even if it takes a year or two, like they're developing down there, it's not like they never developed anyone. Obviously, Mark Stone and Mike Hoffman both spent some time in the AHL when they were with uh, Binghamton. Calder Cup champs. Yeah, but, uh, you know, it it feels like they've really shifted a focus to it not just being their second team, but more somewhere where they can send young guys, they can be comfortable, they're surrounded with useful veterans as well, and I think that's going to go a long way to developing some of these, you know, high, high upside, but very low floor picks where you can let them figure out their stuff quote unquote in the, in the AHL for a couple of years, even after they finish junior. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I wonder how much that philosophy changes when you realize that Belleville, those same fans can buy a ticket in Ottawa a lot easier than those in Binghamton. And 
you want to insulate them with good veterans, not only to help their development, but you know, if that team's having success also, I bet you people from Ottawa, they're going to go down and spend some money in Belleville. And that customer relationship is, is how these teams stay afloat and hopefully find a way to be a bit less than $28 million from the cap uh, going forward. But I got to give props. Yeah. To Pierre Dorian for kind of rebuilding like Randy Lee left it as a mess and we don't have to talk about that name anymore, but yeah, uh, Belleville was just such an, a no brainer to, to move up from Binghamton and, um, I mean, I don't know if you've seen the rink at Bingo. It's like like square boards, like in the corners. It's just not it's not an NHL quality rink. I'm not saying that uh, you know the Quinty Sports Complex is is rivaling any any NHL barns, but it is a facility that they can grow these players and their development staff can just hop in the car two hours, bang, you're there. Makes it so much easier. So. Yeah, it's huge, and it just sucks that the pandemic wiped out that 1920 season because they were humming. They looked so good. Their third line had Alex Formanton on it, you know, Abramov, Balsers, Norris, Batherson. Uh, the list goes on and on. They just had so much talent um, that it was a shame they didn't get to to revisit that down the stretch. And Joey had stolen the, the starting job down there in, in Decord. So even from a guy like Hogberg, who was, you know, up and down in his time, so – it's just crazy what could have been if if uh, they were able to play out that rest of the season. But there's still lots of talent that's uh, on their way to Ottawa, no doubt. Yeah, it was an absolute shame. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned buying tickets and, you know, drawing people there. I live in the Kitchener-Waterloo area. And during that year, I was I was about to go purchase tickets for, the you know, that playoff run. And if they would have made the playoffs, absolutely in the playoffs too. And obviously – COVID happened and it is what it is, but um, you know, that's just, it speaks to the difference and a philosophy difference, which I think they're seeing payoff now and we'll see in the future, but um, you know, and that starts at the draft as well. And uh, again, like uh, it's, it's so funny because I think on online, you know, we can really get caught in a microcosm of who we follow, you know, uh, and, and often forget that, you know, the couple hundred people that we see online are not, uh, what everyone thinks or what the common fan even knows. It's the hardest of hardcore fans, generally speaking online that have Twitter accounts dedicated to this, listen to podcasts dedicated to this team. Um, but, you know, I, I was laughing a couple weeks ago when, you know, people were ripping Pronman and uh, Scott Wheeler was another guy, but, Oh, you guys hate the senator's drafts all the year, all, all the time. And I think it was, it was Scott Wheeler who gave them an A in the draft last year. And it's like, guys, like, no, they're just giving their opinion. You don't have to agree with the opinion either. Like, that's totally fine. Everyone can have their own. But it's like, again, like, it's just, you just want to see some nuance sometimes where it's like, I disagree yeah. with this, but this is why. But um, all jokes aside, like, it's, it is what it is, right? And I think at the end of the day, cooler heads prevail. And, um, you know, from here, we got yet, though. Wow. Scott Wheeler DM me the other day when Cole Sillinger had a four goal game and oh, an inter squad team Canada. <laughs> And said, uh, just sharing this for no reason at all. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, hopefully that was in jest, but. Um, oh yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah, but exactly. And, and now we get the excitement of watching these prospects and hopefully we'll get a rookie camp to do so, but we'll get to see how they develop uh, through the year. And that's who's your number fun. one, sorry, I'm not going to flip this on its head. Who's your number one prospect going into the next season that you think could take the jump? Hmm. I, mean, I know I already mentioned Ridley Gregg as, as a guy who could be a tweener. Like what do you, what do you think is best for his development? Yeah. Like it's, it's tough. Cause I think it also depends where this team wants to be uh, in terms of what they want to see this year. You know, we, we've talked a lot or what we've heard a lot about how Melnick wants playoffs or busts this year, which personally I don't see as a realistic goal. I think they should be better than next year, but if that's the case, it's like, 
I worry a little about if they, if Greg is in the NHL roster, like you got to be using him and using him in an appropriate spot. And what I mean by that is, you know, I, I think back to when Curtis Lazar first came up and obviously a little, little different situations, but I don't think Curtis Lazar was used in quite the appropriate role that he should have been. And Granted, I, it might just be possible that Curtis Lazar was always going to be a fourth liner, you know, but if uh, Ridley Gregg is going to be riding between the bench and, you know, maybe even the press box, I, I think I get that he dominated the WA, WHL was where he was playing yeah. last year, right? Yeah, I know he dominated that uh, in the small stint that they played, but, um, you know, I wouldn't be... I wouldn't be angry to see him go and get big ice time again for another year. If it means playing top power play, he would probably, I'm assuming he'd be going to the world juniors this year as well. Like uh, I think he's still young enough to do that, but yeah, he, um, he is. And he wore an a last year in Brandon, but 32 points in 21 games and a plus 17. <laughs> and you're just and, like, what, what do you have left to prove there? And the, the interesting thing too, Alex is with the WHL, they get drafted even a year older. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he only played four games at the end of that one season but he'd be going into his fifth WHL season. Like that's a long time in the same league. Yeah. And it, it's so tough that they just can't have the AHL option, you know, because know. it's like, and it, it's unfair and it, too. Did you hear the OHL is, is saying, well, not saying, but for the AHL, if you played more than 20 games, then you're eligible to stay. But yeah, it's I like, saw that. well, all the other guys had to go back to their junior league. So if it's only the OHL guys that have that advantage. Yeah, and, that, and that's tough, right? And it makes for such an interesting debate about what you do with Greg. And, you know, I also wouldn't hate to see them do what they did with uh, uh, Formington a couple times where, you know, maybe he makes this roster out of camp and, you know, you got a couple games before you burn an ELC year. So maybe you, you see what you got for him in a couple games. And if he looks like he's NHL ready, just let him stick, you know, like, like what's the harm in that? And then if he's not, you know, you can send him back and have him refine parts of his game and, um, you know, I think one of the nice things about, uh, you know, hopefully having a development camp and a rookie camp is, um, uh, you know, being able to talk to these guys and saying, hey, listen, even if you don't make the team, this is exactly what we want to see you focus on this year. You know, this is the area of your game that we think you should you can improve and we want to see you improve. And, um, you know, most of the guys, it seems like uh, that jump is actually a- absolutely possible. Um, you know, as for guys, I think can take the jump. I don't think he's quite ready, but I am really curious to see if they need some winger depth. If Sokolov is someone that they look at, uh, like obviously he lit up the AHL. I think he'll start there again this year, but let's say he plays 25 games in the AHL and he goes on that streak that he was on at the end of last year too. Like, I don't know. I'm not saying they will call him up, but I'm saying is definitely, I think an option that I'm keeping my eye out and I will be excited about as well. That'd be kind of cool if he's the second player in that 2020 draft where they had three firsts and four seconds. I know they ultimately traded one away for Matt Murray, but he would have been their their fifth selection in that draft. And uh, if he's the second guy to get an NHL game, that'd be pretty cool after obviously uh, Timmy playing more or less the full season other than that little injury at the start of the year. But yeah, I'm looking at his numbers right now and Igor went off at the end of that year. I didn't realize it was as bad or as big as, as it was because yeah from april 14th on like the trade deadline on not only ottawa but belleville were both just racking up wins belleville winning seven of their last eight games sogard winning all seven of his starts and then ottawa getting 10 wins in their last 14 but yeah i'm seeing a couple multi-point games for igor here i'm not uh, not quick enough on the on the math here in elite prospects game log to tell you exactly what it was but if igor can keep contributing like that like why not it's just a matter of whether his foot speed can catch up, but 
don't you think maybe putting him across from a guy like Alex Formanton, where you know that he's the guy who's going to be going in and be the first guy on the forecheck and separate body from puck and really just create that extra space that Igor could find those little soft pockets and use his number one attribute, which is uh, his shot. And so, yeah, I, I like the sound of that. I think, yeah, maybe in a, in a perfect world, you hold off for one more year, but, uh, and I, I know you, we can get into it for sure with uh, with Dadnov leaving. There's an open spot on the wing, but I think that I'd rather see a guy developing, whether it's Igor, whether it's even, man, we saw Parker Kelly play a game at the end of last year. Like there's guys who can play on the wing, I think, in that bottom six role. So I, I'm all for it, whether it's Igor or otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I wouldn't even rule out someone like Colin White shifting to the right wing if they really need him, you know, Um, that would that would probably revolve around them going and getting another centerman, obviously, which they they don't currently have. But, you know, uh, I honestly do think that by the end of White's contract, if he's still in Ottawa, he will probably be on the wing, not the center unless he's playing fourth line center. And I I know that's a lot of money to be playing your fourth line center. But at that point, I think it's got to be a sunk cost. But yeah, absolutely. Like if someone's ready give them the reins to go. You know, I think we've seen a couple times with a little bit of hesitancy. And um, the nice thing with a guy like Sokolov is if he comes up and he doesn't look ready, you can send him down again. There's no, there's no harm in that. You know what I mean? And and they've shown uh, that they're not afraid to do that. Obviously we've seen Branchdom come up and down a couple times. And uh, even, you know, Bernard Docker, I thought looked pretty good when he got in the lineup last year, but I, I would be uh, surprised if he doesn't start in the AHL at this point. And again, I, I don't think that's, a horrible thing, you know, like if these guys are ready, give them the shot. But if you don't think they're ready, there's not, there's no, you're not going to overdevelop a prospect in the AHL. You know, what do you, what do you think about Shane Pinto? Is he a kind of guy that needs any time in Belleville? Cause for me, he's, he's an NHL. Yeah. I think he's from what he showed last year. I think he's got to start on this NHL team. If he's got a good camp, you know, like from what we saw last year, I like he, he looked so natural in there when he was playing. Oh yeah, man. He's one of my favorite guys to watch on this whole team. Like it's not often that you get that big rangy right shot centerman. And if you can, you know, have that yin and yang where Norris is a lefty, a shoot first guy. And then the defensive responsibility that Pinto showed, like I retweeted at Sen central that, that block he had uh, in a six, one game where they were up and he's just going, going full out. This guy's got one speed. And when we spoke to Jake Sanderson, he said, watch out. He's going to fight at some point too. He's tougher than, than he might look or, or, you know, how his behavior on the ice typically is. So, man, that's a ringing endorsement of Jake Sanderson's telling me how, how tough and how smart and how skilled of a player uh, Shane Pinto is. So uh, for me, he's, he should be in the mix here. And that's why I'm, yeah, if the right centerman becomes available, sure. But why not run it back? They won 10, 10 of their last 14, like 10, three and one second hottest team in the league after the trade deadline when they were sellers. So, to me, it's a no-brainer unless, yeah, if the right option came up, sure, you can't say no to making your team better. But, man, having Norris Pinto 1-2 down the middle, that I'm not scared of that going into next season. No, and, you know, like there's been a lot of talk about like Ryan Strom or something. That's not the move I want to see them make, you know, unless it's dirt cheap. And, you know, but like I just I would much rather see them go with with the guys they got now instead of getting a one year rental kind of like they tried with step on last year. Like, I think it's fine, you know, what they have. And the other thing, too, is, um, you know, I, I think this team should be pretty solid. There's obviously some question marks. I think the, the right side is still a bit of a question mark for me. Um, Passes a, a Zub anyways or Zub. Uh, goaltending is going to be a question mark. You know, Matt Murray, he, he showed some ups at the end of last year, but there was a lot of downs too. He's going to have to rebound. But 
at the end of the day, too, if this team struggles and it's because they just their young guys are learning, one more year of that is not a big deal. Now, obviously, they can't be down with the Detroits and Buffaloes just absolutely a dead last. But yeah, like if they're not making the playoffs this year, I don't think it's this big failure that uh, you know I've heard a few other people and maybe the owner kind of hint at. Um, you want them to be competitive, and that's the big thing, right? It, it all depends on how the games go. Like if you if you're close and it's just a spell of bad luck where you lose a couple one goal games, that's not the end of the world. Right. So um, yeah, I would much rather, I think this year it's got to be on a little bit of growth, but in terms of you want to see growth in the standings, but uh, again, growth on the the young players is the the biggest thing because those guys taking one more step really puts that team um, in, in a tough division too, uh, a lot closer to where they need to be. So kind of a tough question off of that for you then, Alex. And if you're saying that wins might not be the be all end all, if they start losing games early, how quick do you pull the plug on Matt Murray and really try to start developing Gustafson or Sogard? I would do it almost right away. I'm not going to lie. I mean, and that, I say that as someone who I, I've been lower on Murray for about two or three years now. Um, I, I get they signed him to the big contract, but yeah, like it depends where I, yeah, again, it depends what the other guys look like too. But you know, if you've got a goalie that looks like he's ready to go and you give him the crease and he takes it, I don't see how you can give it back. Like, and I mean, mostly Gustafson, I think here, like I think Sogard's going to be spending his time in the AHL this year, but yeah, like if, if Matt Murray can't find his game through 10, 15, you know, maybe 20 games, like I don't really see a strong argument against keeping Gustafson down. If he's proving that he should be taking the net. The only problem with that is what constitutes as bad play for Matt Murray because he had about a 15 game stretch last season where it was one good one horrible (laughs) one good one horrible so he keeps kind of making you think what could be and then the team goes oh we could fix him like we just need a little bit of this and he's going to be a two-time cup champ again yeah it's just it's so difficult right like that's the tough part and it's almost why you know I, I wasn't um I wasn't necessarily against the uh Forsberg signing but the Forsberg signing is what you kind of muddies things up a little bit for me, just because, you know, with, with Murray and the way he plays, I'd almost rather Gustafson be his backup so that, you know, if Murray's got one of these on games, off games, on games, off games, if he does that two or three times in a row, you go, you're sitting for two games here. You let Gustafson play. I mean, they can do the same thing with Forsberg, but I'd rather see Gustafson be that guy. And then, you know, you see how Murray responds to that. And if it's just the same on off on off stuff, like at some point you got to admit, he's probably just not a consistent goalie, right? Like, yeah. and I think that's what they're going to find out this year. And, and that's a good thing too, because again, this is not the year they should be pushing their chips into the middle to absolutely go for it. And I think this can be another learning year, but yeah, like I think definitely by the end of this year, you either need to know what you have in Matt Murray or not. And there can't really be a gray middle area of what you're going to do going forward. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm just not as worried about Forsberg because well, he saw it twice last year and he got picked up both times, but he's the kind of guy, if he goes on waivers and he gets claimed, like, okay. yeah, it's not a big deal. Like it, yeah. it's not the end of the world at all. Like having that insurance is always good. So, and, and Mando, like this guy won Q goal of the year, Mandalese like two years ago. So, Hey, if he gets games in Belleville, I know the numbers weren't pretty for him in the AHL last year, but that's not the worst thing if he's your AHL backup. So I think Ottawa's in an interesting spot. And um, I mean, I've made my feelings clear about how in a in a big game, I'm trusting Joey Decord over Philip Gustafson. That's just my personal opinion. But that being said, losing a guy like Joey, 
they should have the depth where it's not, you know, not something that's a long-term hindrance going forward. And that's even, we, we mentioned his name earlier, but if Levi comes over and has a dominant time with Kingston, how soon is it that he jumps ahead of Sogard and or Gustafson on, on this depth chart? So uh, interesting times ahead in the crease for sure. But I, I thought it would be interesting to throw that off you with Matt Murray because three years left on his contract, like, oh man. And I, I don't think anyone's taken that contract either, right? Like if that's... That's the big thing. It, well, if he struggles, that's for well, sure. Well, Jimmy Rutherford's not in the not in the league right now. <laughs> yeah, and Ken Holland's capped himself out. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, I don't know. It should be interesting. And I, my philosophy is always: you can never have too many prospects. And I think that is especially so at goaltending because it's it can be so random, right? So give yourself as many swings as you can. And Ottawa looks like they have some really really good guys. Um, um, you know, the, let's get into the free agency now. I think that was a good talk on the draft and what we got going forward. Uh, you know, they shaped their NHL roster for this year a little bit too. One more note I want to say, and and we, we kind of glanced over him, but the second guy they picked, Zach Ostapchuk, most improved player in his division, WHL. I just want everyone to circle that name because I think we're going to be hearing a lot of them down the stretch next season. Like a six foot three centerman that can skate like the wind. Uh, he's got an interesting skill set. So just uh, put a little X next to that one as a guy to watch going forward. Yeah, at 16 points in 22 games played as a 17-year-old is nothing to uh, slouch at either. So Yeah, well, just um, the way he, he chops up defense when there are a couple where he splits the D and you just look at him for that size and you got to think if his growth spurt was earlier or sorry, later rather, then he's still growing into that frame, but the feet, they're moving full tilt and the hands can catch up. So if he, and some of his goals are from like a sharp angle, short side upstairs. So he's got accuracy with the shot too. Unbelievable hockey IQ. So if he can put this all together, I think it could be a situation where he goes a little bit higher, maybe even into the first round with his potential if WHL had a full season, but I know you wanted to move on. I just figured that we get that in there. Absolutely. It's perfect. Uh, let's get into the Dadnov one. I think this should be fun because me and you have disagreed on uh, Dadnov a couple times. Um, oh yeah. I'll give, I'll go first because I think my opinion on the trade might surprise some people given what I've, you know, I I'm usually, I've praised dad, not praised. I defended Dadnov a lot, I think is the right word, but um, I really thought this trade was solid. Like I, when I saw the return, I was like, that is way more than I thought they were going to get. And if that was what the offer was, I have no problem with them making this deal. Um, you know, Holden is a solid defenseman. Uh, they could probably flip him for another asset at some point this year or just let him play it out. Um, and they also got a pick for it, which I just, I was not expecting a, I think it was a third rounder that came back the other way. Uh, Something interesting about that third though, and and call it semantics or whatnot, but Vegas's pick is usually at the end of the first round. And they got Vancouver's, which is typically at the start. Could be, yeah, at the very worst, it is going to be in the middle, and it very well could be near the start. So, uh, and and this is supposed to be a great draft coming up by, you know, what Mm. everyone seemed to say. So I love that they're loading up. But yeah, I I thought this was a a good trade. Like, I I don't know. I, I think it was a solid piece of work if they, decided to move on from Dadnov, which they have. I don't really have an issue from it from a return standpoint. Um, I still think, you know, it would have been okay if they kept Dadnov. It's not, he's clearly not what they thought they were getting. Uh, he was atrocious on the power play, which is uh, unfortunate to say the least. You know, that, that was one of the big spots where everyone thought he was going to help with his shot. There was a power play and it just never clicked. But, you know, at five on five, I thought he was fine. He was a little overpaid for sure. But, you know, I, I thought if we gave, if he had another full year, his points would probably bounce back to at least something more realistic of 4.5. But 
yeah, if this is the offer on the table and a good draft, a third round pick and a solid defenseman that you can, you can either play, he can play the right side as well, which is huge. I mentioned that, you know, I think the right side is uh, a little bit scary. Um, you know, Holden will definitely help that. Um, I have no issues with this trade, to be honest. And that is not exactly where I thought I was going to be coming in <laughs> when they said they were trying to cap dump them. Yeah, it's unfortunate it didn't work out. But you mentioned overpaid, yeah, in terms of his cap hit. But I think Ottawa should be thrilled getting 13 goals out of a guy making 3.5 in real money and then being able to move on for it before it became even more unaffordable when 6.5 comes around when he's 34 years old, not this upcoming season, but next. So to get out from under that contract for a couple of years, the only question is like, what are you going to use that money on? Because right now the Sens... Third highest paid forward is Chris Tierney, who's a healthy scratch in the last game of the season. And their fourth highest paid forward is making 1.5 million and is a great fourth line player. That that's not how it should be. And yeah. yes, there's an asterisk with Batherson and, and Kachuk, no doubt. But that's my only qualm with this trade is what are you using those savings on? Because if it's giving Delzato 4 million over two years, then you did a pretty poor job. But if, if they're not done reconstructing this roster, then you know what? I'll wait, sit back in my armchair and, uh, and judge them accordingly whenever uh, we just get to see what happens. But it, there's no question. He was a disappointment um, in terms of what he brought production wise. And I feel like all of those 13 goals, like most of them, came in a two-week stretch where he got hot. Otherwise, one Leafs game had two of them, and there was like before and after that was like, yeah, half of them it felt like, but yeah. Exactly. So from that standpoint, you know, consistency is key here, and and he just uh, didn't attribute. I thought it was kind of a a bit of a backhand, and and Dorian didn't really need to say it. PR Dorian, we always call him when he talks to media because not the best at it, and that's fine. And hopefully we hear more from Pierre Maguire going forward. That guy's just mastered the art of talking uh, as he's done, what, on – 1200 every day for like 20 years when we had jr on uh on locked on senators he he said the best ability is availability and uh pierre mcguire has got that in spades but pierre dorian said that uh dadanov apologized to him for how he played thought that probably could have stayed private but hey that being said i guess uh, he found out the hard way that barkov was sold separately and now you're getting a player's a, a little past his prime and Good on him, man. If he plays well in Vegas, if he scores 30 goals, and I know that's probably a high watermark, but if he does, you know what? Good for him. I, I won't have any regrets from seeing him move on. Yeah, and I mean, the other thing, too, is that he never really seemed to complain about, like, when, you know, some guys, if they get taken off that top power play and demoted to the third line, you'd hear whining and complaining about it. He never did that. He just, you know, kept plugging along, did his thing, and it's unfortunate that didn't work out. But, yeah, as he said, like, wish him all the best, and he move on. But I think you you nailed it when you said, what are they going to do with these savings? Because um, that is definitely the, the thing that it hinges on is – you know, this could be a great trade if they go and they get someone for Dadnot's price, maybe even a little cheaper that can provide exactly what he brings. But yeah, if all their saving of the Dadnov savings, they look at that and they go, yeah, we're signing Delzato for two years at $2 million. That's not going to cut it. Uh, like it's just, I'm, I'm sorry. That's just not good enough in terms of using your savings to upgrade the team. And, um, you know, nothing against Delzato. We'll get in him as well. But, um, you know, it's just, I, <laughs> I'm curious to see what they do on the right side. Cause I know Formanton can play the right side as well. He was on the left and right last year. Connor Brown had one hell of a year last year. 
are you sold he's a top six guy? Because I still think he's a fringe two, three kind of guy. And I wouldn't mind seeing them get another guy like that or someone that secures Connor Brown as even if he's playing on the second line, he's your third best right winger and you can have depth down all three of those lines. So I'm, I'm curious to see what they do on that right side. If they want Formanton to take another step up and that's where he goes, or, you know, if they're still looking for someone, because I, I still think the right, it's not weak necessarily, but I, I think there could be another piece that could be added to make them even deeper. Well, yeah, Drake Baston, you're hoping takes another step. He's one of those guys, like you said, where you call him up, you send him back down. They did that for two years where he got just about 30 games and then uh, went down to refine it even more so with Belleville. But Connor Brown, he's going to get his minutes. There's no question whether he's on the first, second, or third line. He's going to be the first guy over the boards every time they're shorthanded. And he's, man, why wouldn't he be? Rightfully so, yeah. Him and and Formington looked awesome. Like, oh, yeah. And then Nick Paul, Shane Pinto, yep. like they've got such good penalty killing forwards. Austin Watson, that guy will block a shot with his face. He couldn't care less uh, about about the deconstruction that that goes on when he gets in front of pucks. And I know that's what cost him the second half of his season. And uh, I'm probably banging the drum for Austin Watson more more than most people. But especially, hey, I went back and found Dadnov. He had five goals in five games and it culminated in that two goal performance against uh, the Leafs and then he had two goals in another game so that's seven goals in six games and then that leaves six in the remaining fifth 49 so that's tough but yeah back to to the right side and I mean we're talking about dad knobs replacements and all that so the fourth line it's locked up it's that's Austin Watson's job right there third line that's where it gets interesting and I like your your suggestion of moving Colin White over and it can be that third-line guy. But I'm okay with Connor Brown being on the second line, especially when he's across from Tim, Tim Stutzla because, again, I love the contrasting styles of play where Connor Brown – and I didn't realize Connor Brown was as fast as he is. That guy can get in and hound pucks with the best of him. He's got that long reach like Mark Stone where when he's closing in on defenders, he's always full wingspan because he knows that it's easier to just sweep rather than poke. So I like that he's always got great stick position when he's in on the four check and he, he's just great at separating pucks. And we saw that turn into offense often, uh, especially shorthanded. But I think that that trio with Pinto and, and Stutzel, that's got to start the year together. Like, why wouldn't it? Especially like Timmy got his hat trick, remember, against Winnipeg towards the end of the year. Like they, they did too much well as a line to break them up when Pinto went in and uh, it'd be a shame to see them go. But yeah, if they want to add to, to the right side, sure. But I'm okay. I think Baston's a top-line player at once he hits his peak, and he's 23 now. So how close is he to that? We'll find out. But if it's Batherson, Brown, White, Watson, I'm cool with that going to next season. Yeah, I don't hate that either. I think, you know, you just need that replacement at center then for uh, White as well. And You know what I, I've been banging on this too is Nick Paul. Shift him full-time center. Let's see it. And then, hey, left side up for grabs but you'll i mean your top two are already set with brady yeah, and stutzla and and i'd like to see formington as that third guy so all of a sudden you're only looking for a fourth liner there and then you know what we haven't even mixed in yet and we haven't gotten too deep into the center talk and yes there's still tyranny there too but logan brown needs waivers and for all the talk about trading him which i don't know how much value he'd have certainly somebody would take a flyer on him for free on waivers Absolutely. Yeah. I think the fact that they haven't traded him, you know, if the, if he makes it to training camp, I don't see how, 
granted, he's got to play his way onto this roster. He can't just come and coast sure. during training camp. But if he is and good guys team, like Parker Kelly and Cass, yeah. guys who are less talented are going to be pushing him even harder. Yeah, they will be there busting their asses off. That is for sure. But yeah, like if, if he has a good training camp, like I just don't see how they can send him down at this point. Like, he, like you gotta, you gotta see what you have in him or, you know, move him. Like it's because, yeah, as you said, like, I think some team would absolutely give up an asset. What that is right now, I don't know. Um, it probably wouldn't be high knowing how low his value is, but I don't think that's because teams don't value him. It's just because they know Ottawa's in such a tough spot where why would you willingly help a team out and give them a first or a second round pair, even a third round pick for a guy where it's like, well, you might have to put him on waivers in a couple of weeks anyways. Right. But yeah. yeah, like they have to figure out what they have in Logan Brown here too. And um, don't, I don't think he would be that bad of an option to start on the fourth line and um, you know, even slide up and down. I, I think the, the nice thing about this forward core this year is that we're going to see a lot of guys who can slide up and down the lineup. You know, we've talked about Formanton, even Pinto, like if Pinto needs to take a shift down at three or four C and obviously that I don't, I think he, he can absolutely start up where he was ending last year, but you know, if he needs to slide down for a game or move up for a game, Josh Norris can slide down, or if Norris is out, Pinto can slide up one. Um, the left wing is the exact same way, right? Like Formington, I think he can slot. I don't know. I'm not saying he's a top line winger, but I'm saying if you need him to play a game on the top line, I absolutely think he could do that and not get killed. Would you be okay if their checking line, the line that's going to go up against other teams' top scorers, is Nick Paul between Formington and Colin White? Yeah, I don't think I would have too big of an issue. Like Nick Paul is very sound defensively. Like good face off guy, too. Yeah, and Colin White, you know, for how bad he is at scoring, isn't too bad defensively either. Um, so, yeah, like, is that the exact line going forward you would always want taking the Connor McDavid's and stuff of the world? Maybe not, but for this for this year, at least to start, I, I don't think – I definitely think we would have seen worse and could see worse than that. Like, there's – you know, you got a couple big bodies, a couple defensively responsible guys, and, you know, as much as I laugh kind of at someone like Colin White, it's not like he's offensively inept. He can score when he like when he can. He's just not uh, obviously Batherson or a Stutzel type player where you expect the offense out of him. Yeah, like Nick Paul played center all throughout junior hockey, even with Team Canada with that stacked World Junior team he was on with McDavid and Domi and Duclair and all those guys, Josh Morrissey in 2015. But now he's been kind of relegated to just being a left winger, and that started in Belleville because they had this line. Of- was unreal. Alex. The first year I worked in Belleville, it was Logan Brown between Nick Paul and Batherson. And those guys were absolute animals on the forecheck. But then he, he seems like he's been pigeonholed in this left wing spot. Whereas he's taken a lot of face-offs because usually he'll take the ones in the left circle. Whitey takes the ones in the right circle, but only Josh Norris and Nick Paul were above 52% on face-offs on this sense team. And well, I guess I got to give Parker Kelly credit. He went one and oh, so he's hundred percent perfect no less but that being said yeah and Clark Bishop's right there too is one of the only other guys above 50 at all so that's an area where this team needs to get better so if that means Nick Paul taking more face-offs and Colin White taking less then I got no problem with that especially because Colin White is down at 42 percent like that's brutal you can't be a center in the National Hockey League and maybe for a guy like Pinto and we know what his face-off prowess is or pedigree is from playing college, but you expect him to be down at 41%. He's playing against men for the first time, but Colin White's 24 years old now. Like what's the excuse now? Maybe injuries play a role and he had a few of them last year, but I think that 
possession has never been more important than it is in this fast game. And they need to be better in faceoffs. How many years did it, was it like, or how many games last year was it like 65, 35%? And you're like, oh, well, that's why Ottawa lost again. Yeah. And, and I think the other thing to that too is even if they're not comfortable making him a full time centerman, um, you know, you can take a draw and switch back after the play starts moving. You know, it doesn't have to be right away either, you know, but I, I would even be okay with seeing a system where, you know, sometimes on the PK, for example, um, there's not a dedicated centerman. So it's just one, it depends whose side it is. That's the guy who'll take the draw. And, you know, maybe they could even work something like that with in with Nick Paul. And um, I think the other thing, and Again, this doesn't need to be a long-term thing, but just seeing how good Nick Paul and Connor Brown look together uh, at the Worlds this year after the season ended, part of me really wants to see them together again. But Watch um, what you wish for. Adam Henrique's going to be on his way to Ottawa. <laughs> yeah, I was just saying, I don't know if I need the full line, but definitely two of them. And, you know, if someone like Colin White centered them, I think that would be interesting too. But um, there's certainly plenty of options up front, and I'm sure we will have tons and tons of discussion over the next couple of months. Let's flip to the blue line because that's where they did most of their work this off season. Um, you know, obviously we mentioned they brought in Holden uh, solid defenseman, you know, good defensively responsible. Uh, I think it sounds like, you know, the way DJ Smith was talking, he said he can play the right side if he needs. I kind of take that as he probably will play the right side, especially because um, you know, they brought in Michael Delzato who is a left-handed defenseman. I'm not going to lie. This one, I don't really understand quite as much. I think if you were going to, maybe it's just an extra body and that's not a bad thing. Maybe they still don't think Branstrom's ready. That kind of concerns me a little bit, but Delzato as a player, the only reason I don't really understand is if they felt they needed the veteran left-handed defenseman or whatever. Sure. But Delzato does exactly what Mete and Branstrom can do in terms of he's got solid offensive numbers but he's not amazing in his own end. Like, uh, I don't know how much you've got to watch him over the past couple of years. Uh, I noticed when I watched a couple of Columbus games last year, his skating was a pretty big issue. And I just don't know if that's exactly what Ottawa needed on the left side. Interesting. Yeah, I hadn't heard that that uh, note about his skating. But what I do know is this guy takes a tremendous care of his body. And uh, he's one of those fitness freak guys. So at the very least, I guess he's imparting that. But we saw what good does that do with guys like Braden Coburn and Erica Branson. I, I think the counting numbers are, are pretty good for him, the, all things considered, for the situation he was in. And he might be the oldest 31-year-old in the league. Like, <laughs> no kidding. I mean, it feels like he's been around forever, eh? Yeah, and I think that helps that in his rookie year, he played against Ottawa in the playoffs and he had that great season as a 19 year old with the Rangers back in 11, 12, but I don't know, man, or sorry, that might've, might not have been his rookie season against Ottawa, but he had a great rookie season. I think he was sixth or seventh in Calder voting. And uh, man, he's been in the league for a long time and it seemed like he was on his way out. He changed from being an ultra offensive defenseman to more of a, you know, calming presence. And we saw like the power play time went down, down, down and the PK time went up, up, up. So I think this is it's pretty low risk. I mean, it's $2 million, but is Ottawa going to be $2 million from the cap? No, no chance. So hopefully it doesn't eat into their budget to sign anyone else, but I'm not uh, I'm not concerned about him. I think that he, he can play. I think it'll be a fun battle between him and Nick Holden, two guys who were just brought in. Like, what can they contribute? Clearly Ottawa's decor left a bit to be desired through most of the season. Now, was it fixed towards the end? Yeah, Pretty much. I thought Mete even made Josh Brown look like a half decent defenseman in that last dozen games or so, but let's see how they fit in because right now there's seven defensemen on one way contracts and none of them 
are nicknamed the franchise. So I'm, I'm curious to see where Eric Branstrom fits into all this. I thought he looked great uh, once he was paired with Artem Zub. So what's the plan? Because I think the GM knows that his reputation is somewhat tied to this player with the beloved Mark Stone going, this is your most proud day. You acquired this player, but now you seem to be adding like a maze for him to get to the NHL. So it's a, it's a very curious move, but one again that I'm willing to sit back and kind of try to analyze and, and do kind of analysis over prediction of how it's going to play out. Yeah, I think as the play, if we're talking in a vacuum, like Delzato at two million as a player is fine. Like I don't, I don't really have an issue with that. I think you know, even lately his his offensive numbers have still not even numbers. Like he doesn't put up massive points or anything like that, but he helps contribute. And when he's on the ice, his team does generate a decent amount of offense. So I have no issue with that. But yeah, as you mentioned, like my biggest concern is what does this mean for Mete, who obviously we're getting his contract. Uh, before we end here too, and more importantly, Eric Branstrom, because you know you you touch on as well, but I really loved the left side of the defense in the last 10, 15 games last year, and um, you know it wasn't all because of the left side of the defense, but I don't think it's a coincidence that you had three solid skaters and puck movers on the left side there, and they ended up rattling off a bunch of wins near the end of the year. You know, now a bunch of other stuff went right as well, but that was a huge part of it. Where yeah, like I thought Mete made Josh Brown look really good, at, you know, a competent, and, and Josh Brown I think helped him a little bit too it wasn't all one-sided but you know that was a very solid third pair I thought uh, Branstrom and Zub was a solid second pair and then um, you know I don't love Nikita Zaitsev but Thomas Shabbat is amazing so you know you're not going to complain about him on your first pair either so um, yeah it'll be really interesting to see how it all unfolds at camp and you know I, I hope the other thing too is that they're not scared that if Delzato needs to be a seventh defenseman for a little while, he can be that. Like, I know he's on a pretty big salary to be healthy scratching compared to some other guys, but you know, they healthy scratched Tierney last year too. So uh, I don't, I don't think they're scared to do, you know, pick the best player if that's what comes up and it'll definitely be interesting to see. And then obviously the last move they made here was Victor Mete. Um, I feel like we're going to agree on this contract, very low risk at $1.2 million. And given what he showed last year, just, solid value and a very good bet here for the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, I guess we'll scratch over the fact I said in the last locked on Senators, literally five hours before uh, he signed the deal. I was like, there's no way he's getting over a million. Like I like the player, but he has no leverage here. He's restricted. He's coming off a $750 league minimum contract. And then in that contract, he was put on waivers and then had one goal and one assist where he went. But he did show great skating, great hockey IQ, and good, solid positional defending for a guy who's not the, the biggest, but he plays bigger than his size. So, uh, yeah, I have no problem. Like, I'm not going to get upset over a 200 grand here and there. Like, it's well-earned contract. I think anything over 1.5 would have been a real eyebrow raiser. But, yeah, for him, 1.2, sure, prove it again. And I believe he'll be an RFA again after this year. So, yep. they'll control his rights, and, uh, and away you go. But, I just hope it doesn't scare them, uh, a guy like DJ Smith from playing both him and Branstrom at the same time because, hell, he's seen success with both of them there. So, um, yeah, that'll be interesting to see play out. But, again, it's another defenseman on a one-way contract. So, I get training camp is going to be very, very intriguing in Ottawa. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I think you nailed it with uh, Smith there. It's, you know, they, they both look great last year. And I, I don't think, you know, one of them needs to be punished because they brought in a guy for $2 million. And, uh, you know, with Mete, I think, obviously, I think there's two factors probably is that 
Again, you mentioned the cap. Ottawa is not going to be near the cap uh, ceiling this year. So what's the extra 200 grand? Maybe it even makes the guy a little happier and sways his decision if, if things go right going forward. And the other thing is just like, I've gone back to the market. The defenseman contracts that have been handed out are just insane this year. Like even today, I like Darnell Nurse as a player. I don't think I would have given him 9.25, but even like more than that, like Derek Forbert got $9 million in free agency this year. So I I think just the absolute wild contracts probably raised that cost a little bit from 900 K to 1.2 as well. But um, yeah, I, I think no matter what, that should be solid value. And if it's not, if it just ends up completely fizzling out, Hey, it was one year and you can walk away at the end of the year anyways. Right. So hundred percent. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'm with you in the fact that I think Zaitsev is probably not suited to play with Shabbat, but I do see the value what he brings in this team as well. Like shot blocking, this guy had, what, 30 more than anybody else on the team. And yeah, I don't think I want to see Shabbat even second on that list. So uh, from that standpoint, I think that there is value to have in, in Zaitsev, especially when since Toronto paid a signing bonus, they really only paid him $3 million last year and then four and a half today. Yeah, it's a little bit longer of a deal, but... This guy found his offense at the end of last year too. A couple of cannons. He was firing the puck. And yeah, I think with Zaitsev, I just, I really want to see them try him out in a third pair role where he's a little more sheltered. Um, you know, you can have him out in the PK if you need. And, you know, he doesn't have to be that guy jumping over the boards 22 plus minutes a night. Like, I really do think if you cut his minutes, let, I don't know if you put Zub up with Shabbat or let Zub carry his own pair, because I think he's great at that. And then maybe someone like Nick Holden plays with Shabbat to start the year. I really am curious to see if Zaitsev would look, you know, a little bit better, because I, I think he would just, he needs just a minute reduction. It's not his fault either that the coaches like, you're not going to say no coach. I'm not going over the boards. Right. So, um, you know, sometimes I rip, I rip on him, but I'm not trying to rip on him as a person. Seems like a great guy. It's, it's just what the coach is asking him to do. And, and he can't complain about that. Right. So, um, hey, in, in that stretch, Alex, where they, they played well at the end of the year, his last 12 games, I said had five points plus two playing 2306. So let's just hope he can roll that into next season. Yeah, I know the start and the end of the year looked really good. And then there yeah, was a I, bunch in the middle. Like that I remember the start. Like, yeah, he had a four game uh, point streak right off the yeah, bat. And he had a couple snipes at the end of the year, too. Like, I remember he went bar down twice in like the last four games, I want to say. Well, yeah, the last five. Yeah, he had a game yeah. with two minutes left against Winnipeg. I think it was a 2 1 game. And he got the game winner on there. And they were both from his spot, just bullseye. Oh, and the other one, them. yeah. Pulling an assist against his old team in the last game of the year, too. So yeah, so if you can get him starting in the offensive zone a little more and just let him yeah. do that where he doesn't have there to worry go. about it, like I, I don't know, maybe we would see better results. But uh, uh, thank you so much for joining me today, Ross. Uh, plug some stuff. Where can people find you and your work? Oh, well, brand new on YouTube. So uh, we do appreciate anyone who wants to go check that out. Locked on Senators. And uh, man, I, I hand up for today, though. I we recorded a 45 minute podcast and then my audio the second I said, welcome it just blacked out. So it was, uh, it was brutal, but we'll, uh, we'll be better for it. And uh, yeah. So send central on Twitter, locked on dot senators on Instagram. You can find the podcast absolutely everywhere, including YouTube. Alex, always a pleasure chatting with you and really appreciate the invite. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah, absolutely. I'll have to have you on down the road and it was um, as always great talking to you and can't recommend going check out the content enough. So uh, yeah, thanks Ross for joining and I'll talk to you later. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll get make sure Pillsy's here next time too. <laughs>